When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there and welcome to the show. It's brought to you by Levi Solicitors. 10% off your legal fees at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. On this episode of the Euro Ball, me, Dan Moylan, with me, Michael Normanton. Hello. And a different voice for you today. Dave Guile, welcome to the show. Hello. Square Ball writer extraordinaire. Lovely to have you on, Dave. I mean, the, the alternative is to have Moscow White on who would just be sat here banging on about what Sir Alex been in the crowd last night at, at Wembley. <laughs> Luke Tomine, brilliant. Yeah, Luke Shaw finally getting a start for England at left back. United this, United that. We don't need that, do we? So we're going to have a chat to Dave today about that. First things first then, England, Scotland, nil-nil. I think the Scots were happier than the English with that result. It wasn't a great game, was it, from an English point of view? Tyrone Mings thought it was great. I don't think he misjudged his post-match a little bit. It was like, yeah, good performance, good draw. It was like, hmm... Not really, Tyrone, but never mind. I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. Yeah, they seem to be pretty happy about it in Scotland, don't they, really? There's, um, what, wasn't there some sort of celebratory um, tweet from Nicola Sturgeon, something to that effect? Nearly was a good result, apparently. Yeah, I noticed at full time there were shots of like fan park type things with people dancing around and stuff. And I thought, well, oh, well it's yeah. still nil-nil. You've still not scored. You're I'm... almost certainly going to lose to Croatia and not qualify. So, I mean... I was going to say, I was slightly bemused by the reaction to it. Because there was a lot of high-level celebration at, at what was fundamentally a nil-nil. And like yeah. you say, they've not, still not scored a goal. That's a. I mean, I know England have only had, what, three shots on target and only scored once in two games. But it's all we needed. Ended up beating Croatia, didn't we? Which was the important one there at the start. So I think they're in, they're in a lot of trouble, I think. But I think they're just happy to be giving themselves a shot in that final game. But... I guess it depends what your expectations are coming into the tournament, aren't they really? And this is hugely patronising as well, but I always think think England-Scotland means a lot more to the Scots than the English. Like, I quite wanted Scotland to win in the, against the Czechs. And it's like I don't... the Leeds derby of, uh, of international <laughs> fixtures, isn't it? <laughs> it is. But I, I would be quite happy to see Scotland progress, and I think Scotland would be delighted to see England bomb out at the group stage. So we're better people, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Scotland is... Population-wise, not dissimilar to the population of Yorkshire, isn't it? Something like that. What, we four and a half million in Yorkshire? And mm-hmm. they're, they're about five million or whatever, so... Well, that's why they've got Englishmen playing from, like Che Adams and Liam Cooper. Yeah, I I, um, I didn't find that particularly enjoyable experience last night. But then, you know what? It's tempered by that whole, wow, well, well, not Leeds, is it? Kind of vibe. Again, dr- drove past Ellen Road this morning, saw Hisense plastered on the side of the East Stand, because Hisense, obviously, they're one of the technology sponsors, aren't they, for, for the Euros? And I thought... Great bunch of lads, but better at Ellen Road than in Azerbaijan or wherever they're sponsoring TVs at the minute. The difference there is is interesting because it was a, a fairly disappointing draw yesterday. But I woke up this morning and we are recording this on Saturday morning and I kind of thought, 
it's a bit annoying. Whereas waking up after like the home draw against Luton or something last season, I had like proper anxiety and I was think- still thinking through it in my head. And there are Leeds games where we've lost and it's ruined like a full week for me. Yeah, it's it's all right, really, isn't it? I mean, the thing is, all the players that we support week in, week out, they're quite likable, really. And it's not so bad seeing it happen to, you know, Tyrone Mings, Jack Grealish, people like that. I can, I can, I can live with their misery. It's not the same, really. You don't have the same attachment. I do get confused, though, just watching England when they're playing white as well and wondering what's Phillips doing there. He's, he, mm. it's, it's a little confusing when you see him uh, occupying a role that you, you maybe wouldn't see him occupy for Leeds. So it's a little bit of a strange experience, I guess. But again, like you say, it's not soul-destroying when we lose. It's all right, really, isn't it? It went back to the bad old days of Rice and Phillips yesterday when I've seen them play for England before. And they both, independently, you'd have to say they're both all right. Like, no one's doing anything wrong. But it's just so horribly safe. And it's just both yeah. of them sitting really deep. And then it's weird, though, because I think I don't know if they have to sit deep because the wide attacking players aren't expected to work. Whereas at Leeds, we, we can have Calvin sitting deep and maybe Click or someone dropping in. But you also have like Rafinha and Harrison doing absolutely tons of defensive work, which means that at other points, everyone can get forward. For England, that just didn't, doesn't seem to be the case. I actually made a note on, it was 38 minutes, Scotland had a corner. I think it was Foden was bringing it out. Sterling was breaking with him. Possibly those two breaking because they're at Man City and they're kind of used to this. But no one else was getting forward. And I was thinking like, where's... Move, move. Yeah, you expect, uh, you expect where's six, Bamford? Six, Bamford should have been, he'd have been on the halfway line almost by that point. You'd six, have had, or six or seven bodies. Yeah, you'd have had, you'd have had Harrison, you'd have had Alioski, you'd have had everyone charging forward. For England, it was just, oh, let, let's just let Phil go out with it. And Sterling made himself available further up the field. But when he got it, there were like four men around him and there was absolutely nothing he could do. At Leeds, we'd have, man- we'd have turned that into like a, a six on five or something at the back. That's a similar sort of vibe when, when you notice the fullbacks attacking because my beef with what they're doing with Calvin in midfield, I mean, he was brilliant against Croatia because um, he managed to run that midfield. I think they physically had the beating of him whereas I think what Scotland did to England last night was to match him physically and hope it was enough to see him through and I, th- and I think it was which meant that we had to outplay them. We, we're not going to outmuscle them and ball would go to like the fullbacks in the wide positions or to the attacker but then they stood there on their own and they haven't got Luke Ayling bombing on the overlap mm. and then trying to create a three on two, which is, I mean, the over the overlapping fullback is not a new invention, is it? But England don't seem to do it. It all just feels very safe, really. I think yeah. it just, um, it doesn't feel like we're taking a risk that maybe we're, uh, we're used to seeing a team do with Bielsa. It just feels a bit meh, for want of a better word, I guess. <laughs> well, when, really. when you've witnessed this attacking football at Ellen Road for the last three years and you've become, well, we're addicted to it, aren't we? It's so thrilling. It's so, yeah. so exciting to see that. Oh, and it goes across, and then it goes back inside, and then it goes backwards, and then it goes across. And then... Maybe Southgate is right, and he's building something that will make sense when we have to play France, for example. And this solidity and not committing bodies forward will be good because it'll mean Mbappe won't get in behind us, which is a very different prospect. To, as well as he played, I think he's quite a decent player, but like Che Adams is a very different prospect for someone, someone like that getting in behind your defence. It's, it's, there's not the same threat, and maybe that will work, but I'm not actually convinced that that will work. I think I think that I can see his thinking on it in that we need to prepare to because we don't beat big teams, do we? That's the problem. Mm. We've never yeah. managed to get past them. But then you look at England's own attacking players, and there's so much there, and we're just completely wasting them because we're not we're not building a team around attack, which seems it seems daft when you've got so many good attacking players there. It does seem like they. Um, I think I might have said this way back when at the start of the tournament or before it that they're relying on an individual moment of brilliance rather than team play to make something happen. But I think. I viewed the the Croatia game as it was quite exciting. We've seen progress compared to the World Cup before. And then you saw last night and it just acted as a nice sort of check and balance. And 
and it's reset the expectations a bit because Calvin, for as much as we all lapped it up, was all over the the news reports. It was on BBC, ITV, and all the rest of it, doing the headlines and you know news at ten and all that. And it got really overexposed this week mm, because yeah. as much as we like it, I don't know. I just I, I want to protect him. I almost be- thought it was set up for him to get sent off in this game yeah. with the amount of of build up he's had in the week, like the nation's sweetheart. Then all yeah. of a sudden. There's effigies of him hanging from lampposts like there was David Beckham and yeah. back in 98. There was a bit of a nasty moment, wasn't there, where uh, it, I, didn't, I didn't see exactly what happened on the pitch, but I kind of zoomed in on uh, on him and uh, one of the Scotland players on the floor and I, was, uh, I wasn't sure what happened. I think he just kind of wrapped his legs around him. But, uh, it was him and McGinn. Yeah, yeah when, when they started uh, zooming in, I just thought, it hasn't been a kick here or anything. Yeah, else, so. mm-hmm. I was worried about that. They'd kicked out at him as he was trying to get up and then VAR picks it up and it's Beckham all over again when he's, yeah. he's lashed out against uh, Argentina. Yeah, that, yeah protective moment leave my boy alone <laughs> leave him alone but it'll be interesting to see what happens now it's, I'm, I'm glad in a way it's tempered the optimism because I think England can be unbearable in a way optimism <laughs> takes over <laughs> I, I think our, our natural state as Michael you'll probably agree is pessimism and it's it's a comfortable pair of slippers though I think often the people who get the most optimistic and most carried away at England tournaments are not they're not really football fans they're not people who go to Ellen Road or Bradford or Old Trafford or wherever every week and that, I think that gives them a slightly unrealistic expectation of, of football uh, to an extent it becomes more of like a national event and something you get whipped up in a bit more like the Olympics or something Yeah, yeah. they view it like that whereas I view it as an extension of the sport I watch at Ellen Road and I know that that almost inevitably ends in misery well I mean t- to be fair it does the right you know there are 92 league clubs and only one wins each of the four divisions so there's only four you know eight 12, whatever, 11 get promoted, but then there's relegation as well. So mo- most football fans, your natural state as a football fan is to be miserable or pessimistic, isn't it? But clinging on to a hope. And I, I think with it, with England, the, the hope is kind of so out of control because there's the historical 1966 win, then the occasional flirtation with the later stages that just raises everybody's expectations. Just that, just enough. Yeah, there's, there's so few chances to get it right, though, I suppose, with yeah. the two-year intervals between tournaments really so any all these curses like the penalty jinx and everything they they really do set in deeply because there's so few opportunities uh, opportunities to reverse them yeah we we know as leeds fans i suppose what it does to your psyche seeing continual failure year in year out and, and how much it can hold you back from um, achieving your potential and, um, and 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 yeah i think we see that with england quite a lot it was nice waking up this morning, though, as an Englishman. You know, not everybody listening to this is going to be English. I appreciate that. We've got Scots uh, listeners, Welsh listeners, Irish listeners, and some of them will be revelling in England's failure to score against Scotland last night. But I've woke up this morning and clocked that it's the seven-year anniversary of Dave Hockaday being appointed as Leeds manager. And I'm like, ah, it's all right, isn't it? Could have been that. That was miles worse. That's like the, the day-to-day thing, isn't it? I think England's like getting a bad meal in a restaurant. Dave Hockaday was like having a bad bad food every day, wasn't it? It was yeah. just like, no, there's never anything in the fridge. This is what you've got to eat scraps for the rest of your life. You know what? I'm kind of grateful for it in a way, though, because um, you need a counterpoint to appreciate the good times, really. You need to have been taken to your lowest level, and that mm-hmm. really was probably the lowest that we've been appointing Dave Hockaday. It was laughable, yeah. that, that whole period. At least it wasn't in League One. That's the only tonic to appointing Hockaday. It wasn't done when we were in League One. I mean, it was hard enough stomaching Dennis Wise and Ken Bates as an extension of that. So I don't know, uh, just waking up this morning, like you say, I've, I've gone, ah, well. <laughs> but yeah, the Leeds thing. Well, I mean, I look back on the, the promotion running and the stresses involved in that and it overtook my whole life. Whereas it's, you know, it's 10.39 now at the, the moment I'm recording this and it's pretty much forgotten, isn't it? The old 
the old uh, the old Euros for now. But then again, there's there's plenty of good stuff to get your teeth into today. I mean, there's um, there's a bit of Leeds interest across the rest of the fixtures today. Who've we got? We've got Hungary, France. No interest in that. Augustine didn't make the squad. Portugal, Germany. Robin Cock. Now he didn't feature, did he, in their other their previous game? And then um, Spain, Poland, which could again could have been interesting on on two counts. Click up against Urente. Yeah. Click will probably play, you imagine, but mm-hmm. will Urente? Make that one. It'd be nice to just see them, just to uh, just to move the narrative on from all the all the stuff that happened last night between England and Scotland. Do you know, it would have been nice to see last night. Go on, Pat Bamford. Yeah, because yeah. he can move in a way that that Harry Kane has has clearly is, is lost it, the ability to do. Is it the system or is he broken? There just seems to be reluctance to take him off when he's having a bad game. I think really, they just. Um, well, he did it last night, didn't he? He, yeah. he pulled him. It, it took yeah, a while. It, though. it took longer than it should have done. I thought, and it seemed odd to bring Rashford on for him as well. I thought, but. I guess I guess he's up against Hanley, who I mean, this is again, it's arrogant and offensive to say, but Hanley is not a good player, is he? Like Harry Kane, he should be really having the day of his life against against people like that. Like he's a he's a championship yo-yoing kind of centre back, and he made him look brilliantly, Kane, because he just didn't offer any kind of threat to him. He's, he's just so so slow, is Kane when he was coming back to pick up the ball, and he's slow to press. I don't know if he's injured or what, but he's he's, well, he's, on, he's on the awful. way back. He's on the way back from it, isn't he? I don't know, and whether. Whether his, I don't know whether his play just doesn't suit the system, but then again, you can't leave him out, can you? Because he scores for fun for Spurs, and he is a brilliant player. Don't oh, get he is, me wrong. Yeah. yeah, he completely is. Yeah, when he when he plays against Norwich next year and comes up against Grant Hanley again, it's going to be unrecognisable. I'm sure, it's going to be uh, like watching some, you know, two completely different players. But yeah, something wasn't working last night. No, I mean I know that they are Tierney and McTominay was kind of playing at the back as well last yesterday, wasn't he? But that, I mean they're shoehorning to get their best players in because they've got. Slightly limited numbers of them, and they're trying to make they're trying to make the best of it. So, so Tierney's a left back who plays sort of as a left sided centre back. So that Robertson at the cost can, of so Liam, Robert, at the cost of Liam. Cooper. Well, exactly. And so, so then they can still have Robertson in the team at the same time. So they're, they're trying to make these things work, and that should really have given some opportunities for us to to get through them. But like Sterling was crap as well. Foden was our best player, and then was taken off, which was I Ian, mean, Ian it, Wright was it, furious. Ian Wright was he just kept going on about it, which I quite liked. <laughs> Like, what about Foden though? Everything they asked him. I enjoyed it with, with ITV when they kept cutting back to the wide shot and uh, and Roy Keane was just there. So you saw this grin forming <laughs> on his face as uh, as soon as he's on that sort of ultra Scottish wind up and then um, Ian Wright's quietly bubbling away in the corner just coming up to the boil. It was pretty funny. But do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me a little bit of Leeds versus sides we couldn't break down in the last couple of years. Maybe not so much... In, in the Premier League in the second half of the season but we saw so much of it in the Championship and the immediate one that's come to mind is like Wigan so it wouldn't have surprised me if say Scotland had pinched a goal at some point last night because they did have chances let's be fair to them they did have some chances to win it 1-0 despite England having all the possession and all the play and making all the running oh well not that much running all the sideways running I mean I think the John Stones header was the best chance of the game wasn't it and I know he was very high when he was making contact with it so it was it was not an easy header, but it was a free header from six yards and it, it should really have gone in. But Scotland had enough half chances to kind of add up to a goal, I think, mm. across across the yeah. game. I think well, if that goes in, though, we know that games turn on moments. If that one goes in, it's a different game from that point onwards, isn't it? And Scotland maybe can't sit as deep and have to take a few more risks and find balances, find margins and all that. But no, it, it wasn't the greatest form of entertainment. There was more fun seemed to be had by the, the Scots who travelled down to London and, uh, and made hay. I quite enjoy just seeing people in... St- stadiums even if it's kind of England's expense I quite enjoyed just hearing singing again and seeing people being a bit 
But getting booed off. A bit, a bit pissed off. <laughs> At least the booing was after the game and not before it anyway. Well, exactly. It's good. good to be booing England again. It's the way it should be. <laughs> yeah. You see Wayne Rooney swearing down a camera. <laughs> Nature's healing, isn't it? I saw Wayne Rooney in the crowd. It looks like he's enjoying his uh, retirement. Is he? Yeah, he's, um, he's not holding back anymore. Take it he's not training with Derby anymore then. That's a good point. Is, is he still Derby manager? I think he so. is. Yeah, yeah, he's still there. Yeah. They, they seem to have locked themselves into this little experiment with 32 Red that's kind of spiralled into them having this totally unsuited manager and there doesn't really seem to be a, an end point to it. Good. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, that, I think we can all agree it's a good thing. That is the thing, isn't it? About as much as you might be pissed off at England, it's out the window. And, you know, we look at those clubs and we're going toe to toe with Derby only, you know, two years ago, whatever it was in the playoffs and look at where they've ended up, look at where we've ended up. I'm just having a dead nice time with football and I'm not going to let England dicking about spoil it at all. I will say with England, after the Croatia win, I was much more into England than I am today. I'm yeah. quite fickle with it. <laughs> but I think that that's, that's probably what, what I was talking about earlier about, you know, that Croatia game raised your expectations. Scotland acted as a check and I think it's probably started to narrow the, the scope of how much I enjoy England and, and not and what its actual importance is to me in the day to day and year to year, like, I can brush. I can brush off the disappointment of England. Like, I mean, I'll never forget Euro '96 and the penalties. I can because we were at like our, our sixth form. We had our sixth form ball was scheduled for the same night as the semi final, and we were at the uh, the Midland Hotel in the ballroom in Bradford, and they were they were trying to do some awards on stage, you know, like and do a presentation. And I think there was one telly in each of the four corners of the room, uh, not like a big pull down screen like these days, you know, back then, and it was all in black and white, etc. And we were all just gathered around the tellies and I can still remember it to this day and went out to an awful nightclub afterwards and, you know, we all got drunk or whatever and that was the end of sixth form. But, um, it, but was Euro 96 better or was being 18 better? Ex- well, exactly, yeah. I was going to say uh, that disappointment stayed with me because it was a brilliant time in my life. Because Euro uh, 96, we didn't play well in most of the games either. No, no. no, you forget it though, don't you? I suppose it's very roast-tinted, I think, when you look back at it. And also, it wasn't that bad. What, it, Scotland, it, yeah. Last yesterday. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was fine. I mean, it's just because it's just because we're we're not Leeds United, and it's not as exciting, and it's a bit of a dirge, and it's very very safe football. But like you say, maybe it has some sort of effect further on in the tournament if they make it that far. But you know what? I'll be fine, and I'm I'm more excited about stuff that's happening at Leeds United than um, than any of this. So I mean, you don't remember England drawn with Switzerland, do you? In Euro '96, no, um, that wasn't particularly inspiring. But should have got beaten by Spain as well, probably in that. Yeah, but then went through on penalties in that yeah. one. So. But it's, easy, but it's easy to remember in, in retrospect, isn't it? You look back on the memory of, of where you got to, regardless of how easy it was. But then it's like the last World Cup. England didn't really do much, did they, in terms of beating no. serious opposition and then fell foul in the semi. And this part of you looks at it in a similar way to that World Cup to last night. Well, if we don't win the group, if we draw against the Czechs, much safer route through the tournament than... Uh, it, was, it was interesting, I thought, the other week, well, this week, in fact, when we spoke to um, Colson, who was 22, and he was saying he remembers... The last World Cup has been like his best England memories of getting yeah. to it. Whereas we look at it and go, didn't beat anyone good. Yeah. Because true. because we were old and jaded by that point. Whereas he was. Yeah, that's on the extra ball, by the way. Colson Smith is the actor from uh, from Corrie. Whereas he was young and therefore enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> whereas we were just sat and watching it on telly going, probably lose if we beat after playing anyone good. So yeah. I, I don't know. I, let's just remember it for Calvin Phillips being good against Croatia because that's been the best thing about it so far. <laughs> I d- my favourite Calvin Phillips moment of last night, in fact, was when at one point he gave a really bad, well, not a bad pass back but the sort of thing that he does all the time at Leeds to Pickford who obviously just shit his pants and just kicked it as hard as he could because he was like what the fuck is this don't pass it to me here whereas Ilan would have taken a two or three touches and the Cruyff turn on it and yeah. stuff but you could just see Pickford booing like a no not here no thank you <laughs> 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. At least Johnny got a goal. That's one thing we can celebrate while he remains a Leeds player for the next sort of 10 or 11 days. Rumours of him going to, to Fenerbahce instead of Galatasaray, which I think makes the whole thing a lot more palatable if that's where yeah, he's going to end blue. up. Yeah, I'd be pleased with that. Because that's a bit of that is a bit of a fuck over to Galatasaray as well, isn't it? Yeah, you can go anywhere really other than Galatasaray, and it would be fine. I mean, I'm assuming Man United don't need him, so don't go to Galatasaray. I mean, we we kind of had heard rumours that he was staying at Leeds, and he'd been convinced to sign the contract that was on the table. But I guess if what's on the table is thirty grand, and what's in Fenerbahce is eighty grand or whatever, it's. I mean, that's the thing. It's not an easy decision when you go in on a Bosman. You get the signing on fee. They put the transfer fee towards your wages, so you can earn a lot more, can't you? And and there is a, a danger, I guess, as well, where it comes to Alioski of um, and the, the way it was put to me, which I thought was interesting, was outstaying your welcome. Like, is it time for him to go now at mm-hmm. twenty nine rather than starting to fall down the pecking order? Which I think is probably front of his mind when it comes to Leeds. Um, he's not going to want to be more of a bit part player when he started just about every game at left back, but. You know, God love him and all that. I suspect that's reflected in the contract he's been offered, probably. And he might have been offered maybe less than he can get elsewhere because the club have got one eye on. Well, by the end of this contract, you'll be 32, 33 or whatever. And probably, well, maybe our third choice left back by that stage. So yeah, can we put 40 grand a week to something better? But it was nice to see him score anyway. It was. And and lose his marker in the first game. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I'm two ways in Alioski, really. I've really enjoyed his time here. He's he's fun to write about. He's... uh, fun to watch really and he's he's just always got something going there's always just something different with him really and I think the idea of him going to Galatasaray and becoming you know a divisive figure as Kiel's become would be hard to take really because I just look at him and I uh, I've got so many good memories I mean he's, he's just fun isn't he but as you say it's uh it's got to the point where uh if, if he stays on too long he could be outstaying his welcome he isn't going to be starting next year as as would think so you've got to ask yourself if this is the natural end point for him Look, whatever he decides now, uh, as long as he's not going to Galatasaray, I'm happy for him to uh, to go wherever he wants. I kind of want him here, but not as first choice left back. Yes, yeah, that, that, that's why really what it boils down to, which is massively unfair on a player because you're basically saying, I don't mind you staying, but I don't really want to see you that much. Yeah. I want to, yeah. I want you to come off the bench sometimes to cause a bit of chaos, which he does quite effectively actually when he's come off the bench because often when Bielsa's brought him on, I've sort of thought, oh, is 
that is that the right move? And it's more often than not, it does seem to work because he just has a certain X factor about him, which causes people to lose their mind slightly. <laughs> it's, funny, though. it's it's kind of it's almost um, one of those counterintuitive things. Uh, I remember we chucked him on against Fulham, didn't we, at the start of the season when we were four one up, and then they got it back to four two and four three, and it looked like it was going to slip away from us. And then what do you do to calm down a game like that? Chuck Alioski into it. <laughs> Which isn't the most uh, the calming influence? Yeah, exactly. But it works. I don't. Yeah. I don't know how it worked, but um, clearly he offers. Else has got it figured out. He offers something, but we don't know quite what it is. But he definitely offers something. Yeah, mm. I, I was pleased for him to get a goal though, because it's a big deal. Is that it's their first first tournament? I know they're, they're already out now, but to have been one of the players to have scored a goal, it is something that you can, yes. can never take away from him. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. they and they are a. They're a tiny nation, aren't they? You know, to have qualified is a is quite an achievement for them. So now I think when it comes to Alioski and Leeds. I've got two strains of thought on it and one of uh, trains of thought on it, sorry, is uh, and one is about places in the squad and we know Bielsa likes a small squad. We know that they're going to bring in a left back. So what role does that leave for Alioski? Well, it's someone off the bench who's probably a bit of a utility man and you do wonder if if it might be worth sacrificing his place in the squad in order to bring somebody else in if they could or... Mm. Uh, when you've got a load of subs, a utility man isn't necessarily required as well, I think, these days because you've... It's not like the older. If you have one sub, you need someone who can do a bit of everything. Whereas, I don't know, it feels a bit superfluous to have to need someone on the bench who can do loads of different stuff. I think partly it's because we've not had a, a very strong bench. Like we've had, you no know, offense to these players, but we've had people like Leif Davis and Shackleton making up the bench who have never been first team players. Whereas, I guess the next step is you want to be able to look to your bench for someone who can actually change your game, as opposed to like, well, the filling in a space more or less. I also want somebody to have the number ten shirt. As well, I want like our best player to have the number ten shirt, yeah. which is it's a childish re- request, but you know Gary McAllister wore the ten shirt for me, so I I want to see somebody of that standard. Yeah, a <laughs> left back shouldn't be wearing the number ten shirt, certainly. Yeah, yeah I've, I've never quite made peace with that. I don't think. I assume he was just allowed to pick from the available numbers, but yeah, someone should have yeah put the foot down. So this, this, is, this is too important. But then you know Bielsa, if he's assigning squad numbers, he's he's not going to bother with such peripheral matters, is he? Just take whatever you want. And Johnny's just dived in there, hasn't he? He's been the kid who's dived straight into the uh, into the kit box and gone, ha, number 10! <laughs> or something like that. But I can't, yeah, I kind of want him to stay because we're sentimental, but I also, I'm also happy for him to be released back into the wild and go continue his adventures somewhere else. Bless him. One of the other bits of news then this week, Park Life, etc., uh, is not going to be on Fullerton Park anymore because we're getting some sort of mega bowl cheese room, watch the players tunnel, glass wall stand built there presumably I'm just thinking of all the examples like Spurs Stadium Man City Stadium where you can uh, you can rent corporate space can't you in Man City's uh, the Tunnel Club and you can you can watch people like the players like it's a zoo I was going to say like a peep show <laughs> interesting <laughs> that your mind went there <laughs> what does that say about you Michael not sure <laughs> or a zoo yes or a zoo maybe, maybe that's a reason we can keep Johnny during the week as well let people observe him his natural habitat yeah. exactly. trying to piss in his own mouth like the monkeys do in the zoo <laughs> quid for a bag of food you know you get a zoo at the farmings and stuff where you can uh, take the kids along but yeah do you take the kids along to the to the peep show <laughs> not so much anymore <laughs> no not after, not after the ban <laughs> But, but yeah, I'm all for this, uh, the West Stand Mega Bowl. It did always look a bit tight with that mm. thing there, because I, I know we're used to seeing Ellen Road, which is a, it is quite a shallow stadium, whereas when you walk around a modern stadium, it takes forever to get around the perimeter of it, doesn't it? Because there's such yeah. depth to it with all the corporate areas and stuff. So it did always look a bit tight, but yeah, bring it on. Yeah, when you go past like the Emirates, say, on the East Coast mainline, when you're getting the train into into London, 
and you go, bloody hell, it's occupies such a massive footprint, or like the Spurs one, which we know we've not seen that yet. But I mean, I've done the tour of Wembley and been inside that, and uh, I really didn't want to after having memories of Doncaster and all the rest of it. But even still, um, it was nice just to see Wembley on the inside and not have stress associated to being there. But it's massive. It's absolutely massive as a as a footprint. So it'll be interesting to see Leeds kind of expand. And I want, you know, you get that little pang of excitement as you come past on the on the train past Leeds that's when it's coming into Leeds, again off the East Coast mainline. And I don't want to be ashamed of it anymore. <laughs> Not that I'm ashamed of it because I, I love it deeply, but I don't know. It's... Everyone's got their own view of, haven't they, of uh, of Ellen Road, no matter which way you approach it. I think we spoke about this with John Howe, whether it's emerging, you know, on Lowfields Road and you see it as you as you go down Lowfields Road and then you also see it as you emerge from under the tunnel and that, that's when you feel like you're probably at the ground when you come out from under the motorway, whether it's coming down the hill, down Wesley Street or coming down the motorway as well off the M62. You get that, you get a view that, that sticks in your mind and that's what Ellen Road is. And I, I look forward to, I don't know, being able to puff our chest out a little bit because it represents like olden times. And it's interesting that we spoke to Eddie Gray about this on the Phil Hayes show. And I've kind of finally made my peace with the idea of redeveloping Ellen Road fully now because Eddie Gray's for it. I was a bit surprised actually at how unsentimental it was about it. He was like, well, things need to move on, don't they? And he thought, oh, fair enough. Whereas I'm thinking, but Eddie, that's the stand you walked through. <laughs> you were in that stand. And I would get more emotional about it than him. I think he was like, yeah, the football club needs to be better than this. Essentially, is what, what he yeah. said with it, which... Is right, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you see teams like West Ham with the, uh, was it 60 housing capacity? You know, we, we, we need to be keeping up with that, don't mm. we, I suppose? We, but not like West Ham. Yeah, yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> not like it, but... <laughs> Mind you, we, but, might, yeah. we might have our own Westfield, the way that uh, things are going with Peter, is it Peter Lowey on the board? Mm. Uh, yes. That's his area of expertise, so we might get, Ken might get his shopping plaza before, uh, before we know it. But if that comes as part and parcel of a brilliant football team and a nice stadium, then fine. Uh, we've always said, Michael, you know, leave the asbestos in, make the roofs higgledy-piggledy, but it'll be nice to have something a bit swish. Because I, I always had dreams as a kid of, uh, I used to design stadiums, you know, scribbling them on pieces of paper and, uh, and pretending to be an architect and stuff. And I always wanted a swish, a really swish Ellen Road. Um, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I used to have, um, game called, I don't know if anyone will remember it, but ultimate soccer manager on the Amiga. And you could develop your stadium on that. And that was always a thrill, knocking mm, it down, putting, yeah. the, putting the biggest stands in you can. Yeah. Like sixty thousand capacity in League Two or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the thing with it. it. The way that stadium redevelopment will be defined is how good we go on to be in it in the near future. Because if we're back in the Championship and with a, a half empty, two thirds empty, sixty thousand, fifty five thousand seat stadium, it'll feel fairly dreadful. Whereas yeah, if it's just rapidly around in it, yeah. Whereas if we get uh, some glorious wins against Man United and and it's exponential as well, isn't it? If you the thing what I've realised with you know, we've been lucky enough to speak to like Angus Kinnear and um, Eddie Gray, Victor Orter and stuff, and Parag Marate as well. And and the way that Leeds seems to be to be moving at the minute, you realise the value in investing in this stuff. And I, I kind of lament that, I mean, it was said at the time, lament that Leeds never invested in the stadium when Ridsdale was going absolutely mental because the bricks and mortar ends up paying for itself and, and it becomes exponential, doesn't it? Like, so if we get 55,000 bombs on seats and the, the corporate revenue goes up and the club's turning over more money. We can get better players. And it just, it seems to be self-reinforcing, isn't it? You don't, I was going to say, you don't see teams with big stadiums in League One, but then I just realised Sunderland are down there. So uh, forget all that. But That's our know, model, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Follow the Maccas. But do you know what I mean? Like it, it's, yeah, I do know what you mean. M- money begets money, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you look at Newcastle when they went down um, with their, what, 55,000 seat stadium just bouncing straight back up, really. We've, we've got a, 
hope that it sort of future proofs us, I guess. You know, by yeah, just that's, that's what I mean. Yeah, future proof. Good word. Yeah, that's an absolutely good word. Yeah. And I think that's what I felt a bit with the 49ers investment as well, that even if we go down again, loads of people have put loads of money into this now and they don't get that back ever if we're in the championship. So that it, it, we're almost at a point where people have to invest more money in us. They have yeah. to keep us here. You've come to the casino. You've got 10 million quid. Double worth, down on it. Come on. 10 yeah. million quid's worth of chips. <laughs> yeah, put put the house on, on black or red, one of the two. No, you, yeah, you're right. And hopefully we are insured against that sort of thing. Um, this is going to look hysterical when people are laughing at this in a <laughs> few years' time when we're back in League One. But shut up with your negativity. Because I'm I'm going into next season wildly optimistic. And we've spoken over the last week, over the last few days, about the fixtures coming out. And I remember 12 months ago when we saw the fixtures drop and we all went, Poof, look at April. That's terrifying, isn't it? And while there's a similar sort of vibe around December with, uh, well, I mean, a massive home tie against Brentford kicking off of the month. For a start, woo! Um, no, but don't want to belittle them just in case they beat us now. Uh, but Chelsea away, Man City away, Arsenal at home, Liverpool away. Uh, that's it's quite a run, but it's fine, isn't it? It's not scary. I no. mean, I think uh, last year we weren't sure how we'd be able to, you know, hold up against even the mid-table sides. Now most of them uh, on that list finished below us last year. I think that's the big difference. Yeah, like Luke Ayling and Stuart Dallas against Man City and Chelsea, etc. Was it was a complete unknown, wasn't it? Whereas yeah. We know now they're fine, and we'll presumably yeah. buy a couple of a couple of players. Like the squad's only going to get stronger this summer, I would imagine, unless unless we do get something ridiculous coming for Rafinha or Phillips, I guess, and we might have to sell someone for like ninety million. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think I can only see us improving this over summer. And even if it did, I'd still trust them to reinvest it correctly. That's another yeah. crucial thing. Yeah. Like I feel like we've got more of a safety net there. I mean, I'm not for one second suggesting we should before anybody jumps on this. Um, I'd like us to keep our best and most expensive players but even if it, they did you look at what Leicester have done and I, I trust them to make sound investments whether it's in new players or if ultimately they have to become replacement players but I mean looking down that fixture list October seems fine you know Watford Southampton Wolves, Norwich yeah yeah the, there are spells in this where you think well I mean I, I've started to convince myself in positive ways now like I look at September so we've got Liverpool at home. Well, we did all right against them in the home game this time. So we've got nothing to fear from that one. We might not win it, but fair enough. Newcastle, we should have the measure of, particularly if Steve Bruce is still there. And then West Ham at home, finishing off September. And I think, well, we can't be as bad as last season. Whereas last season, I would have thought, well, maybe we'll get something out of Newcastle. Hopefully get something out of West Ham. Liverpool, you can write that one off. So it's all just mentally levelling up just that little bit at a time, I think. I think looking at next season as well, as long as one of these teams isn't doesn't end up being us, there are always a couple of teams that are a lot worse than you expect. Like if West Ham finish 15th next year, I wouldn't be entirely surprised. If like Arsenal drop even further, I wouldn't be surprised either. Like It, it feels like there's always... Wolves. Teams, teams take you by surprise sometimes. And I think the teams coming up often feel really optimistic until about 10 games in, and then they realise they're all going to struggle as well. And the league quite quickly takes a shape sometimes that you can you can get the measure of it. I think we were, I think we were almost unwilling to make a declaration on that this season because it was... It was all new to us. But actually, it was looking back on it, it was fairly clear from early on we weren't going to go down as much as the fear of the past 16 years kept pulling us towards it. You wouldn't ever look at a league table from last season and think, well, Leeds look, look like they're going to get dragged no. into this. We were always fine. There was, I think there was only one moment when we hit, what was it, 15th? Uh, and even then we quickly clawed ourselves away from it. Yeah, I mean, we never lost more than two in a row and we haven't under BL to have we I suppose um, in the three years that it's been here mm. which is quite astonishing considering the state we were left in 
before he came on board. And, and it's like you say, it's um, there's always this thing at the back of your mind that we're going to do something Leedsy, I suppose. But, um, Spur- but Spursy now, it, isn't it? Spursy, yeah, exactly. They've taken that mantle from us. Hockaday is still available if the if they are still on the search for that manager. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you look at the amount of um, transition and change that's happening at various clubs in the Premier League. Everton with a new manager. Well, Newcastle want a new manager. The fans want a new manager. Well, this is the thing. that The, the clubs that are retaining managers, there's clubs like Newcastle who you don't expect to do much beyond mid-table, would you say? Mm. It's probably a fair estimate of, of where they've been, given, given that's what Bruce has generally produced. You also look at Burnley. Are Burnley going to suddenly start climbing up the table? I mean, I know they've, they finished sort of mid-table a couple of years back, but they don't feel like they've got it in them to... I think Burnley as well is an accident waiting to happen with their new owners and the way they've leveraged the buyout and it just is, it's a relegation away from them being in League One again pretty soon, I think, given the way that the debt's all st- structured there. If Deitch leaves, they're probably knackered. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to see how Palace get on as well without Hodgson in the coming season because they're another one that you feel could drop. If they really they get, tailed off, didn't they? If yeah. they get a bad appointment, they could quite easily drop because I don't think they've got that many good players and Eze is already out for about half the next season isn't it because he's got a bad Achilles injury so. ah well <laughs> I just want I just want bad teams to take those places nice and it like Sheffield United did last year in West Brom very early on they just made a declaration we're going to be shit that's two places you don't need to worry about lads yeah it's fine down here which I'd quite happily accept for, for this forthcoming season but you, you look through the fixtures and think we should be alright you never want to count your chickens because you know football uh, has a habit of coming back and biting you on the arse doesn't it but um, I mean it'll be a fun opening day at least we know that well if we can go if anyone can go. I hope nobody can go to that other day. <laughs> I hope Old Trafford is empty so those twats don't get anybody in there. Nah, let's have a no, let's have it in, okay. Let's okay. have a in. Let's have away fans there as well. But yeah, I mean then Everton, Burnley, Liverpool, Newcastle, West Ham, Watford, Southampton. We're fine. It'll be fine, won't it? Tell me, Michael, it'll be fine. It'll be fine, Dan. As the the man who's most scared of it. So yeah, New Ellen Road, 55,000 people in a couple will that, of years. Will that be done for the start of the season? I believe so, yeah. yeah. Good. Just just pop it up there behind, uh, behind the, the cop in the do West like, um Like Gillingham's away end. Just do it all on scaffolding. To be perfectly <laughs> honest, if, if you were in charge of it, we said this before, if you were in charge of it, that's exactly what it'd resemble, wouldn't it? You'd be like, what's the cheapest I can get away with doing this? I'd go for You could fit another thousand in if you just let kids sit on the pitch like they used to in the old days. <laughs> just let them, let them dot around the sides. <laughs> so yeah, back to the Euros. And uh, some entertainment across this weekend and Wales are playing Italy tomorrow because we're recording Saturday morning. How do you fancy him to get on there? And will Tyro get a bloody game? Never. It was good, that Wales game. I enjoyed it. Did you watch it? I uh, saw a little bit of it, yeah. Um, again, I think my interest in it is probably limited to what he can do, really. So if he's not playing, then... <laughs> but, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see him get through. I'd, uh, I know there's this kind of antipathy between some of the home nations, but um, I'd like to see him do well. I think seeing seeing Bryn Law's drunken day had in Leeds watching Wales on unfold on Twitter just pleased me. I thought I'm glad he joined himself. Yeah, there is a part of me that's slightly envious of being able to get that level of buy-in over the national team. But I feel I don't know. Maybe it's something to do with being a Leeds fan. Maybe it's something to do with the sheer amount of kind of inter-club rivalry in England. You know, there's so many big clubs in England and it reinforces itself in like you see the team selections and the Villa fans all shit in their pants about Grealish not yeah. getting in there and we, how defensive we've been over over Calvin and all that sort of thing and I think those those fault lines probably exist to a certain extent because you see all the all the fans of the different clubs sniping at each other don't you mm. whereas Wales seem to put all that aside Scotland seem to put all that aside I, I mean it speaks volumes that pretty much the last thing that happened in the game yesterday actually was England had the ball on the edge of the box and Tyrone Mings hit a most ridiculous pass he like absolutely he shot the ball more or less at Jack Grealish who he was unable to control it and I was like 
fucking villa. <laughs> but there goes the full-time whistle. <laughs> Pathetic. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'd like to see Wales progress. And I think the more home nations we can get through it, the more interest it has um, further on in the tournament, doesn't it? But we will watch with interest and see what happens. And uh, we're back doing, what, the Euro Bowl on Tuesday? 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 Wednesday, Tuesday. who knows? I mind you, where Tuesday? What are Tuesday's fixtures? Let's have a look. Um, oh, it's us, isn't it? It's England and Scotland as well. So maybe Wednesday. Just keep keep it out on your feet. All right, we'll speak to you in a bit. Dave, cheers for coming along. Thank you. See you in a bit. The Square Ball Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 